welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you, sir? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. It's uh, another breakfast. I had my porridge, but I have got my cup of tea. Yes, I must admit, I've had my uh, marmalade on toast. Somebody, it's a sign of the Asia thing. Somebody said, you're normally so so focused and so um, so serious, Mark. You know, why why do you have this like Mickey Mouse mug, you know, quite regularly? Well, it's uh, I've got four of them actually, and that's Jay for Jack. You know, they uh, all four of them got uh, got me ages ago from Disneyland. So uh, yeah, quite a personal thing for me. Very nice, very nice. Good. good. So another very busy week, and we're going to be talking today about finding proper profitable property deals and uh, something we've had a, a lot of success at and no better person to talk about it than uh, than you. I mean, you you run our land and acquisition team and uh, for, for Echo Group and you've been doing this for an awful long time, mate, haven't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, certainly going way back, I mean, you know, my, <clears throat> my forte was kind of with project delivery and program delivery and what have you. That was my corporate role, you know, delivering sort of pan-European networks and and uh, major data centers and those sort of things but you know having the freedom of choice I guess when we when we walked away from that world um I, I just fancy something different quite frankly and um you know I do I do like the uh, the analytical side of things from time to time so I like the old spreadsheet I know there's a couple of people online that are, are very much the same but that's kind of my thing um everybody's different but uh, that's certainly my bit and um, you know, I, I do, I do enjoy the, you know, just just finding an opportunity and then kind of exploring the art of the possible. That's a great use of a phrase there, the art of the possible, and just just analysing all different aspects of what is a, a building that's you know probably very unloved and disused, and try and you know repurpose it into into something else but you know kind of just working through all the scenarios to find the best best solution be it from a profit point of view or you know to serve society as a whole so yeah absolutely let's just uh, say a few hellos to uh, uh people here so uh morning ed very well thank you hope you are too um marcus morning marcus philip andrew patrice yeah we've got uh a real full house again, uh, Andrew. Hope you're well. Two Andrews, uh, Anil, Kathy. So, morning, everybody. Morning, everyone. Can't say good morning, everybody, but you know when we've got a cup of tea in our hand, we're thinking of you. So, uh, so let's let's crack on with some of the uh, some of the things we've got to talk about. And um, yeah, we're we're most definitely in a in a people game, aren't we? Um, a lot of your interactions um, with uh, with agents. Uh, um, so, uh, and next week we're talking about private uh, finding private capital. So tune in for that one as well. You know, again, that's a highly personal interaction and relationships stand true and proud. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, these these relationships, you know, is as always, they're always quite time consuming and uh, you know hard to generate in the first instance. But 
it's all about maintenance, isn't it? It's all about checking in, you know, on a periodic basis and just getting to know people. You know, we're we're kind of all in it together. So, you know, it's all always great to um, get great relationships out there. And then what, what you tend to find, and certainly what I've experienced over the years, you know, having started, you know, our journey five years ago, um, is that it is hard. You know, it's very hard to start with. And, you know, probably the first year, I would say, you know, once you're, getting to know people and you know they're they're kind of teasing you with opportunities and you know but there's a couple of key key milestones really i think i think time um time does build relationships um but when you do that first deal as well you know that that is a real key milestone that it kind of turns the taps on you know you you've you've demonstrated to that party and the industry that you are a doer and not a talker you know and that sort of, and that's what the the commercial agents absolutely need around them because uh, you know a lot of these guys and ladies that you know they they could could be on commission only you know this sort of thing so they've they've got to back the right horses and uh, so it's really important from that point of view i think that's a that's a brilliant point you know that that phrase walk a mile in somebody else's shoes well yeah. mile in their business model their economic equation um and uh yeah, so when you next put your offer in and you think it's a great offer, you know, the, the agent will be looking at you not just on whether it's a good offer, but whether you've got the capacity and the credibility to actually get it over the finishing line because reality is that's the only thing that matters, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think clarity of what you're looking for is really important. Um, you know, for those that have got access, and if you haven't, get yourself over to Equa Academy, but into the portal there. Um, if you just run down the development side into finding, um, you'll see in there a search criteria. We kind of ter- term it fondly, Mark, our hunting license, don't we? <laughs> and and what that that's an example of what is live and real in our world. Okay, so so you know when we're talking to. Um, you know, commercial agents and building those relationships. I think what's really important is to be very clinical in terms of what you are looking for and the criteria around what you're looking for. Just to give, you know, that recipient of that phone call or email or whatever it may be, the best chance of serving you in the right way. What you don't want to be doing is being hugely busy dealing with things that don't fit in your criteria, you know, and the kind of things that, um, you know, would fit in and, you know, by all means, everybody just, just pile into the Equiportal there and just down, download yourself a copy. But, you know, wh- what are you looking for? Are you looking for office buildings? Are you looking for land? Are you looking for maybe mix, mixed use buildings? You know, these sort of things, um, you know, it, it kind of expands into location, <clears throat> you know, where do you want to be developing? Where do you want to, you know, develop your buy to let portfolio, your, you know, your HMOs, whatever it may be in your strategy, where do you want to do it? Well, we need to put it down in the in the criteria so that people are very clear. And and I think more so you're consistent. You become consistent in the message as you're as you're speaking to people and getting to know new people and so on and so forth. You know, lo- location is key and mark <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you know, our location typically is kind of the donut around the M25, isn't it? So we pick pick up you know, the home counties locations, it it's limited by an hour away from London. So, you know, if you were to on the on the train, <laughs> you know, so if you kind of all the all the train lines going out into all the home counties there, 
you know, if you track that to an hour and draw a line around it, you, and then you've got the M25, you've kind of got a bit of a weird donut there. So that that is our search criteria. Um, <clears throat> I can't stop you there. That's twice you've said the word donut. I'm trying to lose weight at the moment. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. No problem. I'll, I'll use a, use a different word next time. I promise. <laughs> uh, dear. You know, but also, you know, location-wise, you, you you might want to put in there. You know, the good good access to public transport, location of the actual building. You may want to be five ten minutes away, walking distance to the train station. The, these sort of items are very critical, and it's great to get it out your head and crystallize it onto a piece of paper as well, you know, for that, for that true consistency. And, you know, once you, once you've defined this and you're out there, there's nothing wrong at all with changing that criteria from time to time. Circumstances change, don't they? So you, there's no, there's no harm in going back and what a great excuse for then going back through your network and, and having another, you know, checking in with everybody and just giving them a bit of an update on the revisions, so that they're again very clear on, on the criteria in which they need to uh, search a building or a plot of land or, or whatever it is. Yeah, I guess, I guess when talking to the agents, um, they want to know that you're clear and confident on your own strategy. Yes, uh, and having a you know a very clear philosophy, and that. One thing that's, um, it might be a, a bit of a tip for, for, for people um, tuning in this morning, and morning those who have just tuned in, um, is is you can use a, a different type of language to to promote what, what you're doing to, to the agents. So, for instance, uh, if you explain to an agent that you've got a SAS, they're probably going to go a bit blank, to be honest. You know, it's, it's not exactly the most, uh, despite our best efforts not ex exactly the best uh, well-known strategy the best but not well-known um so uh, maybe uh tell them that you're a trustee of your own property investment fund different words says the same thing and then you've got different interests you've got a property investment company you've got a property investment fund you may have other interests as well just piques their piques their interest and it makes you maybe that little bit more memorable than the others in the queue out bill Absolutely. Yeah, very, very much so, Mike. It's a good point. Well made that. And, um, you know, just, just kind of carrying on, you, you, you might want to, you know, put in this, um, as I say, we term it hunting license, you know, the search criteria may, maybe you want to focus on predominantly residential areas because, <clears throat> I mean, there are a lot of buildings available, as we know, but they don't necessarily all work for residential. I mean, they probably do work, but it's whether they're attractive to people in terms of the back-end sales or back-end rental, you know, whichever the case may be. And there's a lot of buildings tucked right in the centre of maybe an industrial estate or a commercial park or these sorts of things. And you just have to ask yourself the question whether they're, they're the right type of properties to go for, you know. And you, you might want to be specific in your search criteria to say, I want it in a predominantly residential location, as, as an example. Um, I think I think size as well, um, in terms of the building um, or the plot, you know, I think that's relevant. Uh, you might want to talk about its term gross internal areas, um, you know, these sort of things. You might want to be fairly specific or even just get down into the granular. I want a deal that I can convert into 
say, 10 or 20 residential units. You know, you could keep it to that sort of level. Um, you know, if it's if it's land you're after, um, you might want to be specific in terms of the number of dwellings that you want on that land. So that gives the agent a bit of a, a steer in terms of, um, you know, the, the size of this, this plot that you're looking for. Um, you know, if it is an existing building, it is an office block, again, our floor to ceiling heights are, are very key as well you know we call it slab to soffit so when you strip everything out you know you've got kind of a concrete floor and you've got a concrete soffit which is actually the underneath of the upper floor and you know those floor to or slab to soffit heights are key as well because by the time we've got all the services in and we've got all the acoustic attenuation that goes through as part of the makeup of the ceiling um you know and maybe the, you know all the fire uh, fire treatment, et cetera, et cetera, you do tend to come down a fair bit. You know, it could be 300, 450 millimetres, you know, off that off that soffit. And I think what we're trying to create, you know, thinking with the end in mind, we're trying to create light and airy spaces, aren't we? So if if they are a little bit airy on the, the small side, I think if you can create this airy space with higher ceilings than normal, it just feels more volumetric. You know, you've got more space, it feels more airy, et cetera. So therefore more attractive. So, you know, I think that's that that's the key key thing. Um I mentioned the uh, the, the slab to to, to soffit. Um and we've seen challenges where you've got uh, clashes because of maybe downstand beams. Um and taking you back ten minutes ago, um you mentioned, you know, all our years running hundreds of millions of pounds worth of data center infrastructure. I mean, that was right at the forefront of uh, CAD technology evolution. And, and we had clash detection, didn't we, where you could actually take a six-foot person with a hard hat, so what's that, six-foot three, and walk them through a data centre with all the crossover pipes and wires and make sure that they weren't going to hit their head or that your HV cables didn't clash with some water pipes. Mm. Um, and uh, at, a, at a smaller scale with the apartments, you know, a downstand beam not you know, can really affect the position of your walls, uh, service runs. Um, so that's a, a great point. Absolutely. We've had a couple of, uh, and it, again, this could be a real top tip. This is, we're talking about what we do. You know, this is live examples. Um, we've had a few examples where, um the building hasn't been quite what it seems um, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, namely, uh, the drainage on the ground floor. We've come across that a couple of times now, haven't we? We have. We have, absolutely. And 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 I think, you know, that these are the lessons learned, aren't they? And I think, you know, going into deals today, you know, and, and probably going, you know, this started kind of four years ago, didn't it? Mm. But, you know, as a policy, we assume we can't get the drainage into the slab. That's the assumption. And if we can, it's clearly a bonus. Um, you know, if we can't, we we make, you know, sufficient provision there in the budget to to put a false floor in and therefore enable the drainage to run underneath the floor and, and out to the various manholes. But, uh, you know, which is which is a cost item. And, we you know, we, we fell foul of that, didn't we, Mark, uh, about five years ago. Uh, one particular scheme, we went in there, and it all seemed, you know, in, on the face of it's absolutely doable. But when when we did the investigation work, this was kind of after the point of getting the keys uh, to the building, 
um, you know, the, the guys with the Kangos went in and sort of started opening up the slab and we found that it was actually a structural slab, you know, with very, very thick, you know, rebar in there, reinforcement bar. So there was, there was no option, you know, uh, we, we couldn't start chopping through the reinforcing bar of the, of the slab. The slab would potentially just crack, you know, because of the weight and the, and the load bearing. Um, so we, we put a raised floor in and it was absolutely fine, but that's, that's kind of the checks and balances you, you learn along the way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So as I say, everything we've done thereafter, it's, it's going in on the assumption we're putting a, a false floor in. Fortunately, we we had the, the the latitude to put in a raised raised floor. Um, if you didn't have the floor to ceiling height, that contingency that Nigel spoke about, um, you'd be kind of a bit knackered, really. And uh, it doesn't half play havoc with your floor treads, um, uh, stair treads, I beg your pardon, uh, and your your risers. So think, you know, you might have to ramp down into your communal areas. So it's just a just an area to to be aware of. It's happened to us uh, twice actually, where we've had this reinforced frame, raft and frame, uh, sorry, pile and frame, raft uh, slab um, design, and we've got over them. That's fine, but you don't want to don't want to spend your contingency. And you might say, well, you could find that on the as built, so you could maybe do some um, some investigation on the slab. Well, if you've got you know thirty or forty people working at desks in a, a an office that you're about to buy, they tend not to uh, like you doing core drills in the middle of the uh, the floor slab. So, just to be aware of. Absolutely, and it is part of contingency planning, really, isn't it? This is what we're talking about here. So, very very relevant. So yeah, I I think um, also you, you know have a think about when we're talking about the type of building. Have a think about. Do we want detached buildings or attached buildings? You know, whichever the case may be, you know, detached are great, aren't they? You've got space around them. You've maybe got the opportunity to put windows up and down the side, you know, to get more light into the uh, the apartments or whatever it may be. Um, but if it is attached, you know, to, to a neighbour, you've just got to be conscious of party wall agreements and, you know, additional legal matters that may be required. So, so again, you can be very specific in the search criteria of what what you want, or more specifically, what you what you don't want. Um, you know, you you might want to also think um, about the size of a building. So our typically our rule of thumb is um, anything any building that's kind of three floors and above, we would probably look to put a lift in. So what, you know, considering the cost of putting a lift in, you know, into the hundreds of thousands of pounds potentially, and the impact of taking space from within the building that that space you want to develop into residential units, and you, now you can't use it, you know, with all the lift lobbies and the motor rooms that go with it, you know, could you put into your search criteria that anything over three floors, the building has to have a lift, an existing lift. You know, so at least you're buying it, you're going in, you know, with that um, that asset already in place, which, uh, you know, could be a could be a key part. And it's, you know, I think, you know, people buying the units or renting the units, whichever the case may be, um, you know, I think three floors is enough to carry a Sainsbury's shopping. I don't know what you think, Mark. But. Uh, yeah, plenty, plenty. <laughs> Wheezing a bit, wouldn't it? Particularly when <laughs> my teenage boys eat, to be honest. <laughs> the Tesco delivery man mocking his brow a bit. Um, and your, your strategy as well, just thinking of what you mentioned there on lifts, 
we had a great session last uh, last Wednesday last Wednesday morning with our mentees, our, our Equa mentorship, and we have a, a fortnightly um, discussion group. And we picked the topic of capital allowances there. And I know many many of our mentees have got a uh, got a SaaS, and their part of their strategy is maybe holding a commercial property long time long term. <coughs> So capital allowances are really important. You know, where do you structure? Do you structure that retention of that unit in the SaaS, outside of the SaaS? And when you start thinking of lifts, escalators, air conditioning systems, uh, industrial kitchens, that's a huge amount of capital allowances. And that could play quite a key part of your your strategy, couldn't it? Uh, And where you structure the deal. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, if you are holding or even if you're selling in some cases, I mean, you can, you know, you can move the capital allowances onto the next party, uh, you know, as a, as a Brucey bonus, if you like, to, to clinch the deal, maybe. But, you know, all these sort of things, they just need to be considered. Um, and in, in any event, um, you know, when you're, when you're stacking the numbers, you know, we tend to put the capital allowance figure into the budget, irrespective of whether we're going to um, exercise it or not, just so that the money's there too. That's the cost base for it. The cost, the cost, yeah, absolutely. And and then, you know, we don't consider it as part of the analysis, you know, in terms of the profitability of the scheme. And therefore, it's it's clearly upside, isn't it? Um, you know, potentially, if the cost, if the cost of having the uh, the surveys is already accounted for, then it's, it can only be only be upside. So. Yeah, it's the... Uh... As we said the other day, I said, yeah, that's the gravy. They said, you, you, can, you can tell you're from the north, Mark. said, in the south, you say that's the cherry on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. They're not a certainty, but um, I think we could probably do another session here. I know we've got Raising Private Capital next uh, next week, but maybe the week after, we'll look at how we structure deals. Because once you've found the deal, which is where we create a huge amount of value, probably next along the list is how we structure the deal, be that we don't find deals for the SaaS or anything else, do we? We find great deals and then look at how we best structure. So I'll put that down and we'll do structuring the week after next. Yeah, that's great. That's a great thought. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so just on to, back to the search criteria. I think there's only a couple of extra items I think we need to consider. I think conditionality is is key, and and the biggest one ever is screaming out of everybody's head, isn't it? You know, planning permission. You know, what do what what do we want? Do we want um, you know to put into this search criteria that all purchasers need to have planning permission? You know, for the intended scheme, or or are we happy to take planning risk? I mean, I, I you probably know our policy. You know, we we don't take planning risk unless you know we can agree a deal that is subject to planning. Um, you know, which is which is fine, um, and then I, th- I think just finally, and last but certainly not least, just any exceptions. Um, so you you may you know you may be thinking about well, I don't want anything in a flood zone. Let's say you know it could be problematic, you know, in terms of permitted development. It could be problematic in terms of planning permission, um, and just a matter you kind of don't want to deal with. So you know, if if people are just serving you into your inbox with all schemes that you know, fit all these criteria. It's something we don't necessarily have to worry about. We need to do the checks and balances, absolutely, just to make sure. But it certainly eases the load if, if um, you know, people are serving you uh, around a defined criteria, which is which is good. Um, 
and and I think also you know just just to think about um, you know freehold. I think just finally, um, clearly, uh, the best title to purchase is freehold. You know, you're you're in control of everything. But you know, would you consider a thousand year leasehold? You know which is termed a virtual freehold. So it's basically, there is a freeholder, you know, he's granting you access to, let's say, a whole building or a whole floor or, you know, a couple of floors within a building, these sorts of things for a thousand years. So, you know, from the, the perspective of lending, et cetera, it's termed a virtual freehold, okay? And they, they treat it as that. But you just need to be really careful with with uh, leaseholds in terms of the conditionality that sits within the, the lease agreement. You know, it is a, an agreement between two parties and there will be terms within that agreement that need to be adhered to. So it could be restrictive. So it's just really aligning the lease to whatever you want to achieve, you know, through the development as it were. But yeah, that's that's probably about it. So I think, I think once you've got that criteria or uh, hunting license down, um, you know, put it revision A, that's all revision O, whichever the case may be, just put it down there and just revisit it from time to time, just tweak it left and right, you know, of of the criteria, just to make sure it's relevant to you as you're as you're going through your journey. And, you know, to use that as the script when you're speaking to new agents within the specific area, you've defined it in your search criteria, you know, and within that specific area to, to hunt down and find people who can adequately serve you with stock. So we, how do we find these people? Well, you know, if you go to... If you go to Right Move, you go to the commercial section, you type in Reading or you type in wherever, you know, Colchester or where you put that in there, there'll be a lot of opportunity will drop down. But in the bottom right hand corner, you'll see all the commercial agents, you know, Google, find, just dig them out, you know, social media, put them out there. There's a, there's a number of independents out there that aren't kind of national names so you we want to get these people onto our list and you know create a, a definitive list of all the people that can serve you in your specific locations yeah Make quite, a, sorry. sorry sorry mate um quite often the estate agents um they've, they've all got great relationships with the commercial agents um we had one recently didn't we in, in surrey that was introduced to us by a standard lettings estate agent really um absolutely well one thing i wanted to add uh, and i think you do incredibly well and and uh, pretty topical actually because we we've had this conversation ourselves in the business over the last few days is there there is there's finding the deal and there's doing the numbers and then i think what you do really well is you then take once you've done the numbers and it stacks up let's say it's a profitable deal and great but then taking that half a step back, you know, go and have a coffee, go and have a cold shower, then look at the numbers again, look at what it is, look at what the product is. And uh, we had one recently where stacked up really well, nice amount of profit, look really good. But are we in the market for two or, or maybe three bedroom apartments in the eight to nine hundred thousand pound range so it might say it's profitable but will it actually deliver you profit and those units they're they're pretty big units they're going to take a while to sell um so it's it's very easy to be drawn into believing your own figures yeah yeah very much so and and that this is this is the danger and i think this is where you know you need you know, whether it's us or whether it's anybody else, you need kind of that fresh pair of eyes looking over your shoulders because, 
we know with analysis, you can make anything work. All you've got to do is tweak numbers. You're, and you're in control. You're actually conflicting against the, you know, the due diligence because you're in control of the steering wheel. If you want to go left, you'll go left. If you want to go right, you'll go right. And you can make deals work. And it's a real, it's a real alarm. You know, it's a real alarm. And this is where, you know, internally we, you know, we bounce off each other, don't we? And, you know, we check each other, those sorts of things. And, you know, and certainly that's what we do with our our mentorship clients, um, you know, we, we're constantly asking questions and, and querying and saying, what about this? Have you thought about that? Why why is that number there? Why is this number here? You know, the, these sorts of things are really important just to get a second pair of eyes on it. Definitely. When you've when you run your own numbers and you can't see the wood for the trees, to be able to email over to you or I, either the offer letter or the DA and say, you know, Guys, have we got uh, got twenty minutes? Can we just have a zoom and go through it? What have I missed? You know, something's bugging me here. What have I doubled up on? What have I missed out? I know, and you know, I, I recently, you know, I, we we both work quite early, don't we? Um, but um, you know, I'll be sat there looking at an email that's come in with a DA uh, from one of our, our clients, and I don't actually need to know anything about the deal. There's just certain things that stand out in the in the analysis that are worthy of a question. And, you know, if that question can highlight an issue, at least there's a corrective action to be done. And, you know, you can still secure the deal. It's just we need to go in eyes wide open into these opportunities. And um, this is kind of before the the solicitor gets hold of it and starts doing all that analysis. But it's just making sure that the numbers absolutely work correctly. Just that that one comment in in, that. I don't think it was a one-to-one session. I think it was in one of our group mastermind mm. sessions for the mentees. Just that one comment about capital allowances and somebody took the initiative, followed up, and created over £300,000 worth of capital allowances. And really, it's very easy. I mean, we're pretty pretty grounded guys, aren't we? Pretty conservative, I would have thought. Um, and it's it's easy to pop off all the, you know, the successes, if you like. But there is also keeping people out of harm's way. Mm. Uh, it, you know, I can think of one deal that just did not stack up and and you save that mentee's bacon, to be honest. You know, they would have been putting in almost a six-figure deposit mm. and would have had very little chance of getting funding and therefore would have lost a non-refundable deposit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's what you potentially lose. I mean, that's just the deposit. Think the legal fees and all the searches... And uh, we don't, we're not a big fan of taking risks that we don't have to take, are we? No, no. And to be honest, you know, we, we're here to keep people safe. And that's, that's our primary objective, isn't it? To just to make sure that, and it's, it's not just, you know, in terms of the deal per se, it's almost keeping their seed capital safe. You know, I, and I've, I've said to a lot of people in the past that, you know, I see my duty, um, you know, of trying to protect that seed capital up to the point of exchange. And if I haven't done my due diligence correctly, you know, the value is coming along, who's representing the bank, the monitoring surveyor is coming along, who's representing the bank, the, you know, the credit committee is going to be all over it. So there's going to be multiple pairs of eyes. And if I've kind of missed something out, let's, let's say for the moment, you know, that C capital, we've already spent the money. We've spent five to 10,000. I mean, I think the last valuation mark we had done was 12,000 pounds, was it? Mm, that was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. About, about 12,000 pounds. But, you, you know, you can, from two to 12, you know, depending what it is, you know, you, you spend this money 
And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I want to make sure that it's it's worthwhile and not just wasted. So, so I see the due diligence element at the upfront part or you know phase of this process to be essentially protecting that seed capital. And if it passes go, absolutely. You know, we get to exchange and we get to completion, and obviously your seed capital can be recovered through through the SPV, etc. And you're off. You know, brilliant, brilliant. But you you know you don't want to be spending. You know, I don't know. Let's let's pick a number: five to ten thousand pounds in C capital, and failing consistently. Mm. You know, th- that's the big issue. Do that ten times; that's a big bill. You know, so you know the DD, the approach, the eyes wide open, the you know people checking the checker is important. You know, understanding the strategy. You know, making sure that you know, all the all the risks are eradicated as much as you possibly can. There'll always be issues that, that pop up, but but you know, you need to be going in, you know, with the right number to start with, which is absolutely key. And yeah, picking up that point only last week, wasn't it, Mark, where, you know, um he said, you know, kind of thank you, you know, you 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 saved me, kind of thing. And it is, it's really exciting and people get carried away with the enthusiasm. And it sometimes you just need to pull back and we 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 don't hold back in saying don't do it, you know, because it, it's it's important to us to keep people safe at every event. So yeah, no, we we drive hard, but drive true, straight, and uh, and as and honest uh, with it, with our opinions. That's what keeps people safe. And ultimately gets that that the, there's so many people with it sat on the starting line with the wheels spinning and we help them get the aerodynamics right you know bed them down get the traction and get them moving consistently slow and steady maybe um but, but driven <coughs> i think you make a good point on the on the numbers because to me to me the um it's the power of anticipation and i think what you've done really well nige um and now in version 58 with the equa da um you've simulated the red book valuation process and if you could go into that process anybody who's who's listening on this webinar if you could go into a process with that power of anticipation anticipating what all the other parties are going to look at because really there's there's probably once you've got the deal up and running, you know, you've got the offer accepted, you've got to get the capital, private capital, and you've got to get the bank financing. They're your two risks. Um, your private capital, we're going to talk about that in detail next week. Um, the bank finance, well, you know, that is going to be highly dependent on the, the bank credit uh, approval. And a key part of that is going to be the not just the valuation, but also the monitoring surveyors report. And we spoke about that a few weeks ago. If you missed that, that was a really interesting one. Um, all the recordings are in the Equiportal. So go across that. We record every one of these sessions for, for your convenience. So that was the role of the monitoring surveyor. I think it was about four or five episodes ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anticipating and simulating what the red book is. Um, now, I think, it would be arrogant of us to say that we don't ever experience a down valuation, but we certainly minimise and mitigate uh, the chances of that happening as far as we reasonably can. Yeah. And we, we do a fair few of them, don't we? So we've got yeah, to... We do. Data. Just, just trying to anticipate that. And, you know, at the end of the day as well, you know, this is a third party making a, <clears throat> an opinion on, you know, in terms of value and cost. 
And, um, you know, it's, if it is slightly adverse, we don't hesitate in any event, Mark, in going back and renegotiating the asking price. You know, that, that, is, the, that is the route. Um, ideally not, clearly. Um, but if there's, if there's a way that two parties, be it the buyer and the seller, can move this deal to a conclusion and it just needs a little bit of, um, you know, correction, let's say, in the, uh, in the purchase price, we're, we're on the phone. And that's um, that's that. But I, throughout yeah. that process of, of the DA, we're laying down the audit trail, aren't we? You, we use yeah. the word audit and audit file a lot. I mean, that betrays some of our corporate background. But many of you here will will have strong business backgrounds, and and sometimes it's we find it's quite hard for people to find that point of reference between the old skills they've got and the new ones they think they need. Mm-hmm. There's so many areas there. So creating that audit audit file, and a, a classic would be asking the commercial agent for the asbestos register. Mm. Um, and they say, oh, there it is, and there's no asbestos, or, or we haven't got it yet, but assume there's no asbestos, tick one in the audit file. We're putting in zero for asbestos. If we find asbestos later on, we can always turn the equity A round to the commercial agent and say, look, we took you through it, zero. And they know what's coming, don't they, if there's a £50,000 removal bill? Of course, of course, absolutely. Yeah, very much so, very much so. So how do we get our inbox full of opportunities? I think that's the next question, isn't it? So you know, on the basis we, we've, we've created our hunting licence or our search criteria, you know, we've within those locations that we've identified on the hunting license and the search criteria, we've we've gone on and done our research to find every single commercial agent that can serve us in those areas. And sometimes the agents could be out of, out of the area that can serve you within the area. So you just need to be mindful of that. You know, let's find all the independents as well, the guys that know the guys that have got the red the black books and all these sort of things. Let's let's get them onto a list. And then, I mean, I basically just use an Excel spreadsheet. You know, down the left-hand side, you just imagine it in your mind. Left-hand side, all the all the details, all the commercial agents, all the contacts that can serve. And then across the top, it's it's just basically a, a note when I check in with them. And that can be by phone, that can be by email, that can be by whatever. But the key, the key check-in is the first call. And I use the I use the uh, search criteria as my script. I don't read it. I just talk it through. Um, but after the meet, you know, after the meeting, be it a Zoom, be it a phone call, I'll send a quick email of thanks, and I'll just say, you know, really enjoyed the call. You know, nice to meet you. Um, and here's a copy of our uh, our search criteria just for your reference. So I just pop it onto the email, send it across. But I'll log within a couple of weeks to recheck in with them. And that continues to go and go. I mean, now as as it stands, you know, unless we're moving area or we're, or we're altering criteria, they are kind of just coming at me now. You know, it's that kind of uh, emphasis. You turn the tides uh, slightly. So, so I think that's that's quite key to keep checking in. And you know, if you're if you're speaking to let's say ten new people in your specific area, you know that and you've you've gone through the script and you've told them exactly what you want, you know, the law of probability will suggest that one of those 10, or it could be 20, it could be 30, but one of one of those um one of those number on the phone will say, you know what, something's just come in this morning. It's uncanny when we used to do uh, you know, we used to meet them at their offices. Not so much these days, but when we used to, you know, I'd, I'd used to go in and 
see the secretary and say, I've got a meeting with so-and-so. Oh, yeah, that's okay. And, um, you know, I'd be shown into a into a meeting room where there'd be a cup of coffee for me and there'd be a, a, cu- a cup of coffee for the person I'm meeting, but there'd be a stack of papers next to it and it would be a deal. <laughs> so it's, it's uncanny how this evolves, you know. So I'm, I'm just suggesting that if you can keep that constant contact going with the parties, you know, just just by the the law of averages and the law of possibility, and it's a numbers game. The more you can speak to, and, and more often, the better. Um, opportunity will flow, and this is opportunity that won't necessarily be on the market. So, you know, stuff that is on the market, um, you know, probably would have gone through two or three rounds of off market inquiries so the the agent would have got the the opportunity he opens up to a small black book sends it out if there's if there's no responses or no interest he'll probably broaden it a little bit and then eventually it'll get onto market so it kind of tells you about what the deals are like on the market unless you've got a different strategy of course so things do work on market but it has to be possibly different a different strategy to everybody else that's looked at it so I, I think that's you know that's quite quite a quite a key thing. It'd be fair to say that you know creating the evidence. You said the first one's really important. First deal's important. Um, absolutely, it, it doesn't have to be a deal with that agent though, does it? The agents all talk to each other. Um, I mean, we we kind of we're not very opinionated. We choose to focus on just sliding another asset into the portfolio. Well, lots of other people are all opinionated on social media, getting themselves sucked into arguments. Um, but that that type of um, reputation that you can have with the commercial agents, one that you know you do what you say you do every time, you meet deadlines every time, you keep people informed. Um, if you do a deal with, you know, get another, another deal in the local area, they'll know about it. If they don't, tell them about it, because it's all evidence of your capability. And I think the way you transact as well. So if you if you do get an opportunity, you know, set yourself a deadline of getting back, you know, 48 hours, 24 hours, whatever that deadline is, but just get back to them, even if it's not with the answer they want, you know, just or even if it's a, with a, a note of just to let you know, I'm going to be another couple of days and thanks very much. You know, the the worst thing that the agent can have is silence, you know, and because silence to him means... I'm not interested, you know, that sort of thing. And he could move it on to somebody else and so on and so forth. So important to get back, you know, uh, efficiently, efficiently to them. You know, d- don't don't forget also the the let market. Okay. So so the let market is is an active market, I think, more so these days. You know, uh, tenants are leaving, this sort of thing. And ju- just think of the dynamics of that building owner. The, the building owner has... Um, y- his entire world has kind of changed. His tenant's gone. So from having a building where the business rates are paid for, um, the insurance is paid for, the maintenance costs are covered, the electricity, gas, water bills are all covered, all of a sudden the tenant's gone. So who's picking the bill up every single month, You know, including financing costs with no income to support it? You know, So the dynamic of a party that owns a building and has got a let board up, he needs to get a, you know, and it could take quite a while, it could take a year to get somebody into a, a building, let's say, you know, would they be primed to be approached to just explore whether they'd be interested in selling the building? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
you know, and it, and it's it's kind of the part of the market that people just assume. Well, if you want to buy something, you go to the sales market. We well, don't have to. You can go to the let market. So I think that's a that's a good, and we've had quite a bit of success on the let market, haven't we, Mark? Which is which is good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of platforms you can look at. I mean, you know, there's just a couple. There's there's loads of them, but like Land Insight, Nimbus Maps. You know, the, these are all great. Um, utility tools that you can use to analyze deals, um, you know, and find out who owns maybe a plot of land or a building or a bit of the history about it, you know, these sort of things. So, you know, really, really, really good. And and I think probably finally, I'm just checking the time there, but I think finally, um, you know, communicate with your network, you know, t- tell them that when you've secured a deal, you know, because what you're what you're doing out in in the open world, you're you're telling everybody that you are a doer and not a talker. You know, you you have the ability to do, you have the ability to transact, and that will naturally attract other people to you. Um, it could be an independent, it could be a you know a commercial agent that's um, just specialises in land or whatever it may be. But you know, just tell people of your progress, and you don't need to be showy offy. You know, you can just. Just give them a, a situational update. You know, we've just secured this. You know, it's going to be a bit of a journey ahead. We're into the final phases. We've now got the keys. You know, that sort. Of, it's really informative to the to the market, and and again, we'll expand expand your network. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we're nearly there. Um, Forty five minutes. It's short, punchy session. Gets uh, gets you coffee, porridge, and you going first thing in the morning. Um, now next week. Now we're, we're, we've got a really fascinating session two sessions actually next next wednesday um so first thing uh, eight o'clock usual spot breakfast with nigel and mark um we're going to be going into uh, raising private capital raising private finance um together we've raised nigel and i we've raised around about 22 23 million pounds worth of private capital uh over the last four years and got some great relationships there, and uh, and we're going to be really showing you some of the some of those uh, inner secrets and processes and systems, and and just to be honest, the the approach we have is quite a humble approach, but but as as you can see, it's worked quite well for us. So, um, lots of golden nuggets there, and then at uh, nine o'clock next Wednesday for our mentees, uh, we're going to be bringing in one of our powerful commercial brokers. And we're going to be really lifting the lid on how you can not only raise your private capital, but raise that all-important bank funding and getting feedback on the DA into the monitoring surveyor, into the valuation surveyor. So look, it's going to be absolutely incredible next week. As always, if you're interested in Equimentorship, it's very personal. It's with Nigel and myself. Just uh, send me an email. It's mark.stokes at equasas.co.uk that's e-q-u-a-s-s-a-s.co.uk or message me on facebook and we can have a chat about whether that's right for you um so we're really looking forward to eight o'clock next wednesday and then nine o'clock with our mentees uh, on um, raising private finance and raising institutional funding nigel another great session and a busy week ahead absolutely let's go and get some great deals Let's go get some. All right. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Take Have care. a wonderful Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, 
Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.